pleasure to be here this morning. Thank you again for having us. Will you open the Word of God this morning to 1 Corinthians 15, specifically verse 57. Here the Word of the living and the true God reads, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The title of this morning's message is Victory That the Lord Gives. There is no victory other than what the Lord has given us. The world thinks that they understand victory, but they don't know the first thing about it. They don't know the first thing about true victory. Let's examine the victory that the Lord has given us. Here in verse 54, if you'll back up in the context that we may understand what it is that the Apostle Paul is speaking of. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Referencing, citing Isaiah 25 and verse 8. The res- at, the, at the first resurrection, there are, there are two resurrections. The Lord, the Lord Christ taught so, and the Apostle Paul taught so in Acts 24, and the book of the Revelation teaches so. There are two resurrections. The first resurrection, the Lord's people will have put on our corruptible. This body is corruptible. When we die, it sees corruption. It has been corrupted and it will continue to be corrupted. We understand as we age that things don't work as they used to. We don't heal as fast. Things happen that didn't happen when we were, when we were 20 years old. I understand that. We all understand that this body decays. It corrupts. And when we die, it corrupts at an even more rapid rate. This We will have put on in corruption when we have been given our new bodies. Our new bodies. We will, we, we will be fashioned to, to, to our Lord Jesus. Uh, he is incorruptible. He has a body that is incorruptible. incorruptible. He has a body that is immortal. We will be fashioned. Our, our glorious body will be fashioned like His glorious body. O death, verse 55, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Death here is is pictured as a bee that has a stinger. Did you know that death for the Christian doesn't sting? Death is not something we need to be concerned about. Grave used to have victory over the Lord's people. Now this this is referencing Hosea 13, 14. But there, there is no longer a sting in death. The grave no longer has victory. Did you know that the Old Testament saints didn't know exactly what was going to happen in the afterlife? Do you know that we do? We do know exactly what's going to happen in the afterlife. We'll, we'll get there in just a moment. But just to show you that that, is, that that is truly the case, come to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2. <clears throat> And verse, 13, verse 14, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he, that is Christ, also himself, likewise took part of the same. He, has, he had skin and blood. In eternity, before he, he took the body in the, womb of the, in the womb of the virgin, the body that was prepared for him in the womb of the virgin, he had flesh. For God appeared many times as a man. He wrestled with Jacob 
he appeared to Abraham in the fields of Mamre. Over and over and over again did the Lord appear in the Old Testament. That is, our Lord Christ, he did have flesh. He did not have blood. He now has no, he no longer has blood. When he appeared to the disciples after his, after his ascension, he said, touch me, handle me, see that I have flesh and bone. I'm not a spirit. He had a glorious body, an immortal body, but he did not have blood. We were purchased with the blood of God, Acts 20, 28 tells us. The church, which is purchased by the blood of God, which uh, God purchased with his own blood is how it actually reads, but that is with the blood of God. Christ took part of skin and blood. He took part of flesh and blood. He took part of the same, that through death, that is the body that was prepared for him, that body was subject, his immortal body is not subject to death. It is not subject to hunger. It is not subject to being tired, sleepy, all the things that we are subject to. He subjected himself to those things. That, that through death, he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to bondage. You understand that the Old Testament saints, they had a fear of death. They were not given the fullness of God's revelation that we have. We have the fullness of his revelation. We know what's going to happen in the afterlife. We know that Christ purchased us. We know that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We know all of these things. They had not been given the fullness of that revelation. We praise God for that fact. Christ even acknowledged that fact when he told the disciples in Matthew 13, Blessed are your eyes, for they see. Blessed are your ears, for they hear. For many, many uh, righteous men of old desired to see and to hear these things that ye see and hear, but have not heard or seen them. They had been given. That was the, the beginning of when, when the mysteries uh, from the foundation of the world that had been hidden were to be revealed by the Lord Christ. He is the final. He was, he was a prophet. He's not just a prophet. But he was the final prophet. He was the final, the, the, the final revelation of God is his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Every, all the fullness of, of all of God's revelation is in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Here, death and, and the grave no longer have victory. They do not have victory over the saints any longer. The, the sting of death is sin. We are not scared of sin any longer. We still sin. We, we ought, to, uh, ought to abhor that sin, and we do. But we're not, it's not something we're terrified of any longer. We know our Savior has redeemed us from that sin. And the, and the strength of sin is the law. We understand what the law was for. It was to teach, the, it was to make sin exceedingly sinful. It was to open the eyes of God's people to the fact that they were sinners and that they needed a Savior. It was never to justify it was never to, to, for one to save themselves. We cannot. It is impossible to save oneself by works. It is impossible. That was not the purpose of the law. The strength of sin is the law. There's nothing wrong with the law. We love the law after the inward man. After, after the new man. We love God's law. But it was, it was not for that purpose. We are no longer under it. That, that sin should have dominion over us. The, the, the weakness of the law is not itself, it was us. It was our flesh. We couldn't keep it. But that wasn't its purpose. That wasn't its purpose. But thanks be to God, not to man, not, to, not for what we have done, which giveth us the victory 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. We do not get the victory by ourselves. We do not get the victory by our own works, by anything that we have done, anything we set our mind to. It is always through our Lord Jesus Christ. He has given us victory. We're going to examine three ways that he has given us victory this morning. He has given us victory over the penalty of sin. He has given us victory over the power of sin. And he has given us victory in that he has promised one day to remove us from the presence of sin. A wonderful victory that our Lord Christ has given us. How exactly did he do that? We'll begin with, the, with the giving us victory over the penalty of that sin. Because the other two are built on that. He, he would not have given us a promise to remove us from the presence of sin or release us from the power of sin if he had not first removed, uh, given us victory over the penalty of that sin. Well, you come to the book of Hebrews. Back to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. The book of Hebrews, as you've, as you've heard me state before, is one of all, all of the Bible is Christ-exalting. We all agree with that. The book of the Revelation, in my opinion... You're getting this, this preacher's opinion is the number one most Christ-exalting book in the, in the scriptures. The book of Hebrews is second, in, again, in my opinion. Chapter 10, and we'll see why that is the case. Chapter 10 and verse 4. <clears throat> For it is not possible that the, the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. It is not possible that the Old Testament sacrifices offering bulls and goats and rams and sheep and every, every animal that they sacrificed day after day, year after year, could take away sin. Now, did it make a covering? Yes, within, the mosaic, within a Mosaic covenant context. If they sacrificed for their sin, God would not bring judgment immediately upon them. He did promise to bring judgment, and he did. At the end of Jeremiah and in A.D. 70, he did, he did bring judgment upon them. Now, he's not, he has not cast off his people, Israel, completely. Blindness has come in part to them till the fullness of the Gentiles be brought in, Romans chapter 11. The, the fullness of the Gentiles will come in, and God's focus will then once again return unto his people, Israel. Wherefore, verse 5, Wherefore, then he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not. He did not desire sacrifice and offering in a salvific sense. That sacrifice and offering couldn't save. It would delay judgment, is all that it would do. Judgment could, uh, could be delayed for a time, but it would ultimately come. And it could not remove sin. It could not take away sin. It would make a covering. When, when uh, Noah pitched the ark with pitch, he covered it with a, a tar-like substance. He pitched it. He made a covering for it. Same term, a covering. And the same word is also rendered atonement and covering in the Old Testament. He made a covering for the ark. Same thing that these sacrifice of the, sacrifices of the Old Testament did. It made a covering. It delayed judgment for a time. God did not de uh, want it salvifically. It did not save. It could not save. But a body, thou hast prepared me. That body that was prepared for the Lord Christ, that body that was prepared for him that he took in the womb of the virgin. Now, he did not... Mary was a true surrogate mother. He received nourishment from Mary. He received nothing of Mary. For if he received anything of Mary, of her DNA, if, if he had Mary's DNA, he's like us, fallen, sinful. 
But he did not have sin. He did not have sin that he had to pay for in and of himself. He paid for our sin, not his own. He didn't have any. He's the perfect, perfect sinless Savior. The only perfect sinless Savior that this world will ever know. There is no other, there is no other name given under heaven whereby, whereby we must be saved other than the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one. The body that God prepared for him, that is what he desired for salvation. That is what would save. That blood being shed is what would purchase us back. Come to the book of Romans. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Verse 14, missed, missed that in my notes, Con- concludes that thought. Hebrews chapter 10. For by one offering, not by multiple not by continually, repeated, repeatedly offering himself, not by the continual offering of bulls and goats. By one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified, those that are set apart. Sanctified, made holy, those that are set apart is what, it, is what it's really getting at. Who are those that are set apart? All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Those that the Father gave Christ in the everlasting covenant before the world began. Those are the ones that are set apart. Those are the ones that he perfected forever by the one offering. By the one time that he offered himself. Not multiple times. Not, not repeatedly in the mass. One time at Calvary on, on his cross. What did God do with, with the ordinances that were against us? According to the book of Colossians, he nailed them to his cross, taking them away. He has removed our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. He has taken it away. He is our scapegoat that takes away our sin. Come to Romans. Now now to Romans chapter 5. <clears throat> we, see, we see this statement can continually uh, continue to be made. Now... Remember how I mentioned that Christ could not have received anything from Mary other than nourishment? Romans 5.12 For as by one man, that is the Greek term, not on air, not one male, anthropos, one mankind. One mankind, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for all had sinned. The anthropos, the mankind, did you know that Eve's name was Adam? In the day that they were both created? Genesis 5.1. Adam means mankind. Ish is male in Hebrew. Isha is woman, out of man. Adam is mankind. By one Adam, Adam and Eve. Eve wasn't named Eve until after the fall. You read Genesis chapter 3. By one Adam, by one mankind, by the couple, sin entered into the world. What they did was sinful. Sin entered into the world by what they did. Death passed upon all men, for all had sinned at that moment. Why do infants in the womb die? It is because of what Adam did. What Adam and Eve, we know them as Adam and Eve. What Adam and Eve did is why infants in the womb perish. Now, I do not believe, it is not my opinion, that, the, that infants in the womb perish eternally. I believe that they are among God's elect. From other passages, 2 Samuel chapter, uh, chapter 12, where, where David says that... that the baby that had perished, he is, he is gone and I shall go to be with him. He's not saying I'm going to go to the grave with him. There's no communion in the grave. He's talking about heaven. He knew that that baby had gone to be with the Lord and that he himself would go to be with the Lord one day. 
this, uh, why, even though infants hadn't done anything, good or bad, why they, why they die is because of what Adam and Eve did. Now, the, the, he continues to lay out the evidence for that. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. They had no idea that they were sinning. Now, they, they must have had some idea, but God had not given the Mosaic law that spelled it out plain and clear what sin was. But notice that they still died because of sin. Sin was still in the world. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. Why? Because sin entered into the world by Adam and Eve. Because of what they did, death has passed upon all men, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure that was to, the figure of him that was to come, that is in his headship, the fact that he is, we were, we were in Adam when he fell. We fell too. His, his sin passed to all of us. This isn't even talking about the sinfulness of man. That behavior came also. But this is talking about the fact that he, as our head, fell by his, by his sin. We fell too. Death passed on all of us. That is why we die. Even if we had the capability of living a perfect life. We don't have that capability, by the way. No man, no man has achieved perfection and saved the Lord alone. The Lord doesn't come from Adam. If he did, then this sin passed on him too, and we're yet in our sin. But we know that we are not, because he did not come from Adam. Verse, back up to verse 9 of this Romans chapter 5. Much more than being now justified by his blood, by, by his death, by the shedding of his blood, are we saved. Without the shedding of blood, Roman, or Hebrews tells us, there is no remission of sin. If he just died of old age, we would still be in our sin. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Here, by his blood, we are justified. We shall be saved from wrath through him. By his... Amen. Amen, brother. Praise the Lord for what he has done on our behalf. He has saved us, given us victory over the penalty of that sin. He is the lamb that takes away the sin of the world, the world of God's people, those for whom he died. Now, just so you can see that that is the truth of Scripture, come to Isaiah 53. We'll, we'll see it very clearly. The gospel according to Isaiah, as Isaiah 53 could, could rightfully be called. This is not something that was new to the New Testament. The fact that those for whom Christ died, those are the ones that he redeemed. Isaiah 53 taught the very same thing. Look at verse 11. He shall see, that is God, shall see the travail of his soul, that is Christ's soul, Christ's person, and shall be satisfied. He's the propitiation, the satisfaction for our sin. He's not just the satisfaction. He didn't just pay the debt. He also satisfied God's wrath. There was wrath against us. Do you, do you know that? That there was wrath against us. But because of what Christ done, he not only paid the debt, he satisfied the wrath. God was pleased to crush him in verse 10. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He, the, the, his father, God, shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify, not all, many. How did he do it? How did he do that? For he shall bear their iniquities. The ones for whom he bore their iniquities are the ones that are saved. 
That is how he saved us, not by our faith, not by what we do. We come into an understanding of it. That, that's, where, that's where preaching comes in. That's where the gospel comes in. That's where the good news of what Christ has done on our behalf comes in. But that's not what saves. If Christ isn't raised, our faith is vain and we are yet in our sins, we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14 and 17. We won't, we won't get to those texts, but they're there for your reading. Our faith is not meritorious. It is Christ's death that merits our salvation. We come into an understanding of that truth later on when he's pleased to open our eyes as a brother or sister born out of due time, just as Paul describes himself. When it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb, first birth, to call me and reveal his son in me, second birth. When it pleases God is when we come to that understanding. But Christ, we were, we were saved 2,000 years ago. Amen. Praise God for that, for that truth. He bore our iniquities and he saved us on his cross. What a marvelous, what a marvelous truth. Amen. It is not just a guilty conscience. It is not just a guilty conscience that leads to this understanding. You think of Adam and Eve. After they had sinned, what did they do? They knew that they were naked. And what did they do? They didn't go crying to God. God, help me. Look at what, I, look at what I've done. I, I, sinned, I sinned against you. I did not walk in your ways. No, they tried to solve it themselves. They sewed loincloths together to try and cover themselves. They tried to do things by their works. That is what the natural man does. That same mentality is the natural man through and through. And they ran and they hid from God. You're exactly right. They didn't come out and say, they didn't hide and then come out. No, the Lord Christ came and found them. He found them just like he finds every single one of us. He is the shepherd that goes after the single lost sheep and brings them back to the fold that there may be one shepherd and one flock. That there may be one sheepfold. We are all brought back to that flock. John chapter 8, I, w- I want you to uh, come, come there with me. We'll see another guilty conscience. John chapter 8 and verse 9. You're familiar with the, uh, uh, the woman caught in adultery. Verse 9, verse 8. And he, that is Christ, and again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now they're in the temple. The temple did not have a dirt floor. It had a stone floor, it had a rock floor. Christ stooped down and wrote on the floor. They should have known who they were speaking to, for who else wrote things in stone with their finger? The Lord God at, uh, at Mount Sinai. He wrote his law on stone with, the fing- with his finger, the finger of God. They should have known who they were speaking to. He, most li- he probably wrote some of, the, some of the Ten Commandments. And what did they do? And they which heard it, being convicted of their own conscience, they had a guilty conscience, they knew they were guilty of what he was writing. What did they do? They went out one by one. They didn't come to him, the only person that could ever help them. They didn't come to him. They went out from him, one by one. They couldn't bear the guilt. They did not want, they they went out and they seared their conscience more. They wanted away from the only one that could help just as Adam and Eve wanted away from the only one that could help. That is the way of the natural man. I do not want the only one that could possibly help me. Beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. They went out. They went out from the Lord Christ, the only one that could help them. A guilty conscience won't do it. It has to be 
the Lord opening the eyes, opening the heart, opening the ears, giving ears to hear and eyes to see. Our sinfulness, our need for the Lord, say, our need for our Lord and our Savior, our need for the Lord Christ. There is a difference between a guilty conscience and one that has has uh, the the not the sorrowness of the world, not a sorrowful heart that comes from the world, but a sorrowful heart that comes from the Lord God opening the eyes. That grants a repentance not to be repented of. So He has given us victory over the penalty of sin. He has also given us victory over the power of sin. Do you know that? Do you know that you are under the dominion of sin? Come to the book of, the book of Romans again. Chapter 6. <clears throat> and verse 4. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. This is what baptism is a figure of. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also so even so we also should walk in newness of life. Baptism is a picture of this happening, being buried with Christ, rising with him. To the purpose that, this isn't potential, to the purpose that we will walk in newness of life. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature or creation. Behold, all things are past, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We are a new creature in Christ. We are not perfect. Our new man is perfect, but our old man is still there. We still, we still walk in ways we shouldn't. We still say things, do things that we shouldn't do. But that, that, still, uh, that still does happen. But we are, no, we are a new creature. We are a new creation. Drop down to verse, verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Sin had dominion over you at one point. When your eyes were opened, sin no longer had dominion over you. You were set free, redeeming is setting free. Now we're free to do what we ought to do. We're free to do what we should do. Not, uh, we're not placed again under, we're not set free from one law and put under another law. Freedom is, is, is not to do whatever we want. It's freedom to do what we should do, what we ought to do. That is the true definition of freedom. Sin shall not have dominion over you. For ye are not under the law, but under grace. Sin doesn't have dominion over us any longer. Come to Ephesians 2. We'll see, we'll see what that was like when sin had dominion over us. And you hath he quickened. Ephesians 2.1 You hath he quickened. You hath he made alive. When you, when you cut your fingernail too short, you cut it into the quick, the red, the red part. It hurts because it's alive. You hath he made alive who were dead. And trespasses and sins. A dead man can't do anything. A dead man doesn't even know he wants to do anything. That's how gone we were. We didn't even want out of our slavery to sin. We loved our sin. It's what we wanted. It's all that we wanted. We didn't want to serve the Lord God. We wanted to serve ourselves. Wherein in time past, ye walked according to the course of this world. We were just like them. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience among whom also we all had our conversation, our manner of life, our, our, our conduct, the way we lived our lives was among them, Paul included. You remember, we've, we've examined Paul's life. We saw what he was before the Lord opened his eyes on the road to Damascus. He was a horrible, a wretched man. He considers himself the least of all saints, the chief of sinners, because he, he, he uh, persecuted the church of God. We had our way of life, 
in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. We had the same nature as them. We were not, we were never children of wrath. We were always God's children. We did not act like it. We did not know it. We did not want to know it. But one day our eyes were opened. Verse 4, never forget what this verse 4 says. But God, but God, always remember that phrase. When we are lost, when we're, when we're so far gone, we don't even want anything to do with God. That we run from Him at the second that He shows up, just like our first parents did. But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us, that is what makes the difference. Who made us to differ from one, from one another? Not only from the wicked and the righteous, but also within the church, with, within the local body. Who made us to differ from one another? It is God. But God, who is rich in mercy, with a great, and, and, and for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, even when we were enslaved to it, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. He has made us alive. He has, he has caused us to see these things, set us free from our slavery to sin. Colossians, the first chapter. In verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet, made us fitting, has qualified us. It could all, you, could also, you could also render that reading. Has qualified us, made us fitting to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. How much work did we put into becoming becoming partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Zero. God did it all. But God, who's rich in mercy, He is the one who made us fitting to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us. Notice again, we didn't deliver ourselves. We had nothing to do with it. He delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. He is the one who brought us out of darkness brought us out from the dominion of sin and put us under the dominion of His dear Son, our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who did that very thing. How grateful, what a, what a great and marvelous work that is. He has brought us out of darkness into His marvelous light. We used to love the darkness, but because of what He's done, we don't love the darkness anymore. Our, our, our deeds, we don't desire them to be evil. What does light do? It exposes. That's why men love darkness, because their deeds are evil, we're told in John, the first chapter. But we're brought into the marvelous light of God's dear Son. Now, now what does this uh, being given victory over the power of sin, we've been brought out from its dominion. What, is it, what does it look like having victory over the power of sin? Because we still sin. It is sin that dwells in us that sins. It is our old man. It is our old man that is still present. That sins. It is not our new man. Our new man cannot sin. But what does it look like to have true victory over that sin? Come to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 7, all about Paul's, Paul's, uh, uh, Paul's struggle with his old man. We're two people. We're two people, the old man and new man. There's a war that's going on. Paul had that battle, and if Paul had that battle, you and I have that battle. There, there, there is a battle that goes on. We cannot, uh, within ourselves, we have the, the desire. That's the difference. That's the difference. We have the desire to do good. But Paul says, the ability I find not. Not within ourselves. God doesn't trust his saints by themselves, Job 15. 
That's why it is he that works in us, both to will and to do, of what pleases him, of what is well-pleasing in his sight. Romans chapter 8 and verse, verse 13. For if ye live after the flesh, if you live after the things of this world, ye shall die. The wages of, st- of sin is still death. Sin still doesn't pay. Sin is still hard on the born-again child of God. David paid dearly. We paid dearly. Ananias and Sapphira saved people. They lied to God. They weren't, they, they weren't killed because they didn't give all their money to the church. That's not why they were killed. They were killed because they said that they did when they didn't. They lied. They lied to God and fear fell upon all the churches that heard that. Our God is a, 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 towards the end of the book of Hebrews, our God is a consuming fire. That's not told to unbelievers. That's told to Christians. We We need to remember who our Lord God is. He loves us and He is gracious and merciful uh, long-suffering, all of those things. He, he describes himself that way, Exodus 34 and verse 7. But we need to remember that he is still a righteous and a holy God. He does not allow his children to run amok. He is a, he is a, a wonderful, gracious, and loving heavenly father. And he does, he is not, but he is not a derelict father. He, he, is, he is ever-present. For if we live after the flesh, ye shall die. If we walk according, if we go back into walking according to the course of this world, if we fall into those old habits, those old habits still don't pay. But if you through the Spirit, that is through the power of God, through the, through the Holy Spirit, it is the Holy Spirit who has to work these things in us. Do mortify, put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. Now this, this term live, this is, this is a, a verb, the noun, uh, the the noun is found in John 10.10. 10. Why did Christ come? One of the reasons he came is that he came that we might have life. That we might have life more abundantly. That we may live no longer under the dominion of sin. That we may know that we have been removed from its power. That we may serve God with, uh, without, uh, uh, without restraint any longer. The Old Testament saints, they were under the law. They had to serve God that way. There was no other way. Now, God doesn't accept all, all worship. You see that by Nadab and Abihu. They tried to worship God their own way by offering strange fire. God killed them both. God doesn't accept all, all worship. But we, we are no longer under the law. We have a, a broader way to serve the Lord God in His ways and not our own. Walk in His ways. Mortify the deeds of the body through the power, through, through the Spirit, through the power of God. It is, it is the Spirit of God that gives us true victory over sin. You wonder why some people no longer struggle with sins that they used to struggle with? It's because of the Holy Spirit. It's not because of their resolution. It's not because, well, my New Year's, how's our New Year's resolution working? Mine failed on January 2nd. Resolutions don't work. The Spirit of God is what works. The Spirit of God, He is, he is what gives us victory. True victory that we experience now. Over sin, over the power of sin. We've been removed, uh, we, we've been given victory over the penalty of sin because of what Christ did on the cross. And because of that, he has also removed us, given a, removed us from the power of darkness, from the power, from the dominion of sin, giving us victory over the power of sin. He has also given us victory in that he has promised to one day remove us from the presence of sin. He has done that in a few ways. Come to 2 Corinthians 5.8. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8. 
You wonder what happens when somebody's removed from this body? We are confident, I say, and willing, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. We, we now, I say, and I'll, I'll explain why I say now, we now, when we are removed, when we are absent from this body, we are present with the Lord. Amen. There's no in-between. There's no purgatory. Yes. There's no such thing as purgatory. You won't find that in the scriptures. Purgatory where you've got to pay off your, your, your venial sins. Christ paid it all. We sing that hymn. We love that hymn. Jesus paid it all. And all to him I owe. He paid every last one of them. There is no such thing as a venial and mortal sin, by the way. We are present with the Lord as soon as we are absent from the body. The Old Testament, you see in Luke 16, Abraham's bosom. That, that, is a, that was a true place. When Christ said to the uh, thief on the cross... Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. They were going to Abraham's bosom. That was in the unseen realm, Hades, the Greek term translated hell in many different instances. The unseen realm, there were two, there were two sides. There were the Old Testament saints and those in what we typically think of as hell. They were being, the, the rich man was in torments, but Lazarus was in, was in Abraham's bosom. He was not in torments. There was a gulf affixed in between that, that no man there was, it wasn't able to be crossed. There are two groups of people, one in hell, one in Abraham's bosom. When Christ went down into hell and preached to those souls in prison, he went to Abraham's bosom and declared the gospel as a declaration. Amen. It isn't an invitation. First Corinthians 15, same chapter we've been looking in. At the very beginning, I declare unto you the gospel. It's a declaration of what Christ has already done. Christ went down to those souls in Abraham's bosom. They couldn't leave. It was like a prison. And declared to them what he had done. When he led captivity captive, he, he, Paul in, in 2 Corinthians 12 says, I got call, caught up to the third heaven, the paradise of God. Paradise is no longer in, in, in Hades. It's no longer in the unseen realm. It is in heaven. Amen. They, they went to dwell with God in heaven. Psalm 5.4 says that sin cannot dwell with God. Their sin had not yet been paid. They were saved on a promissory, uh, a promissory note. The Lord Christ, the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, but He had not yet been slain. That's why they were set apart. That's why they were sanctified. That's why they were set apart as God's people in Abraham's bosom. They were the ones for whom Christ would die. After he did die, he led, them, he led captivity captive to heaven, showing, telling them all that he had done. So there, there, is, there is one way. Death is one way that he has promised to remove us from the presence of sin. Not only will we, we be removed from the, presence of, uh, from the presence of sin in this world, but there is sin in us that we will also be removed from in death. Resurrection. Is, a, is, another, uh, is another way that we will be removed from the presence of sin within ourselves. Come to the book of the Revelation, chapter 20. <clears throat> and there is a resurrection. There's teaching in, in the New Testament that it was already being taught in, in the time of the New Testament that there is no resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, you see that at the beginning of the chapter. If there is no resurrection, then Christ has not been raised and we are yet in our sins. There is resurrection. There is a resurrection both of the just and the unjust. Here for uh, Revelation chapter 20 and verse 5. 
but the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years. Definite article, the, not a, there is a thousand years, same time. But remember, the thousand years is a definite time period. Thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Who is part of the first resurrection? Verse 4, I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, judgment was given unto them. I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. We will be part. Now, we may not be beheaded, but we're part of that same group. We will rule, rule and reign with Christ a thousand years. The same the that is in the previous verse and the verse after. The same thousand years that is referenced all through this chapter. We will rule and reign with Christ. We will be underlings, if you will, in his government. Any of you work for a government entity, you're getting training for what you're going to be doing in the thousand years. <clears throat> we will rule and reign with Christ. That is part of, we will be part of the first resurrection, the resurrection of the just. The resurrection of the just. Christ references two resurrections, resurrections of both the just and the unjust, two different resurrections. The, so resurrection is another instance in which we will be removed from the presence of sin. Translation will be the third, the third way that that happens. Come to, come to the next chapter of the book of the Revelation. And verse 4, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. That's part of the old earth. That's part of the old heavens and the old earth. Sorrow, death, crying, pain, all of that was not part of God's original design. That is part of the tainted, the sinful universe that we have created. That is part of what, we, what our sin, tainting the entire universe, has done. And he that sat upon the throne, verse 5, said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these, things, these words are true and faithful. New heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. All of those things will be passed away. That, that is part of this, this heaven and earth. Not a part of the new heaven and the new earth. Translation. Those, those uh, saints at the, at the end of the millennium that will have not been part of the first resurrection. They will be translated into new bodies. Final and complete removal of all presence of sin. When that happens, the, uh, the, the, the wicked of that time and Satan will be tossed into the lake of fire. Come, come back to the previous chapter, verse 7. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 7. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. He's bound for a thousand years in verse, uh, in verse 3. Bound for a thousand years. Uh, verse 2, excuse me. Bound for a thousand years, then he's loosed after the thousand years. And shall go out and deceive the nations. Some say we're in the millennium now. If Satan is bound now, I don't want to know what it's like when he's, when he's not bound. He shall go out and deceive the nations, which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. This is not Armageddon that you see at the, at, towards the beginning of the book of the Revelation. This is a battle at the end of the millennium. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about in the beloved city, that is Jerusalem. 
And fire came down from heaven, from God out of heaven and devoured them. Does that sound familiar? Did he do that to Sodom and Gomorrah? Did the Lord rain down from the Lord in heaven fire and brimstone? It's exactly how he's going to handle the devil and his compatriots at that point in time. Genesis 19.24 says, says that very thing. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. They've been there. They've been there for a long time at that point. The first two visitors, first two uh, 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 extended stay visitors of the, of the lake of fire. They will, they will have been there for a thousand years and shall be tormented day and night forever and, forever and ever. There's no end to their torment. God, they will be in the presence of the Lamb and the holy angels, being tormented day and night forever and ever. When, when they go into hell, when they go into the lake of fire, God is still there, absent all his goodness and grace, and only, only uh, there in his eternal fury. And nothing says that they stop sinning. Nothing says that they, that they stop sinning. All of their goodness will also be removed, and they will show the monsters that they are. The monsters we would have been if it wasn't for the Lord God, if it wasn't for but God, who's rich in mercy. And I saw a great throne, and him that sat on it, whose face the, the, the earth and the heaven fled away. There was found no place for them. It's dissolved. It burns up. Second Peter 3. And I saw the dead and small, great and great, stand before God. And the books, the Biblia, we discussed this this morning, were opened. The Bible. And another book was opened, the book of life, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Did you do this? What about that? Do you believe that? What about this? God doesn't pull an arbitrary standard over here. He's got his standard right here. Right here, the Biblia, the books. The 66 books of the Bible and the book of life. He judges them out of this book, their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. That is, this is the second resurrection. Which were in them and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. The place that's hotter than hell is the lake of fire. And whosoever was not found in the book of life, that is the Lamb's book of life. There are two books of life. There's the book of the living, which Moses says to God, blot me out of your book. Blot me out of the book of the living. That's who's alive now. That is, kill me. I can't do this. Moses, Moses was distraught over what was going on. He, he didn't know about the Lamb's book of life. He wasn't saying, write me out of the Lamb's book of life. It's not possible to get your name not written. Once it's written in the Lamb's Book of Life from before the foundation of the world, you can't get your name. It's not. It's written in pen. It's written in stone. It's not written with an. You can't take an eraser to it. It's not possible. It won't happen. Those whose names were not found in the Book of Life were cast into the lake of fire. That that will will be the final removal of sin from this world. Our final removal. From the presence of sin. God has promised to do that. He has promised to do that very thing. He has promised to give us victory over the presence of sin. Ultimately in that very fashion. Come back to 1 Corinthians 15. And we'll, we'll, see, we'll see this is given in short form. For us also in this chapter. And then I'll close. And we'll enjoy the wonderful food that you all have prepared. Thank you very much for, for inviting us. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 15, 23. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. 
That is, the, the harvest was done in three, uh, three ways in the Old Testament. First fruits, those were, off, those were given to God. The main body, that, that is the harvest for the farmer. And the gleanings, that was done uh, by the poor picking up what had been dropped. By the way, America needs to take note. God's law made the poor that couldn't supply to, for themselves and made them work to supply food for themselves, to supply things sold in the market. They had to work. America needs to take note of that. We need to take note that God's ways are better than ours. Every, every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ that is coming, then cometh the end. This is talking about putting on the, the immortal body. Then cometh the end, jumping to the end, of, uh, the end of the millennium. When he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule, uh, all rule and all authority and power. When the devil and his compatriots are cast into the lake of fire, there will be all, everything will have been put under Christ's feet. For he must reign, he reigns now, must reign, present tense, must reign, he reigns now, and he will reign then, till all enemies be put under his feet, till he hath put all enemies under his feet, removing, removing the presence of sin fully and completely. He has given us victory over the penalty of our sin, over the penalty of the sin of our, of our parents, of our first parents, Adam and Eve. Over, or he has given us victory over the power of sin. He has delivered us from, from the darkness, from the power of darkness, from, from sin's dominion, and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. And he has given us victory over the presence of sin, in that he has promised to remove us from, that, from the presence, from the very presence of sin. All evil will have been removed. And we are grateful and thankful for that. The world doesn't know anything about victory, about true victory. They may win in their sports games. They may, they may win in the wars that, that they, uh, that they uh, um, come up with, that they, that they go out and fight. But they don't know anything about true victory, the victory that the Lord gives his people. He has given us victory over those things. And I've got a question for all, for all of you. Do you know the victory that the Lord gives? Do you know the victory that the Lord gives his people? I pray that you do. Because this life has nothing but defeat. Those that know the Lord's victory will never taste defeat. But this life gives nothing but. This life will never satisfy. This life has nothing but blackness and defeat in it. I pray that you would know the Lord's victory today. Let's bow before our Lord. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the victory that you